And we're on. Welcome back to the Lads Beer Club podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by my second military veteran, Alan. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No, very pleased that you decided to come on. We connected via Facebook. I think you replied to one of the Facebook posts that I'd made recently on my um, new podcast. And you was very kind to share with me some of the experiences that you've through and pleased that you've decided to come on and actually share your experiences for, for other people. And hopefully if anyone else is going through a, a, a tough time and can relate to some of the things that you're talking to, talking about, then hopefully we can signpost a way to get, to get those guys help. Um, Alan, one of the things we always do first on uh, Dad's Beer Club is just check what you're drinking for this evening. I've got Heineken. Gone for the Heineken. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm still on the cause light. I just can't. I just is that can't. A shit. Is that a big stain you've got? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, do you know what? I, I did the first one, and uh, I did the first one with, with quite a good friend of mine, and we we were getting through some drinks. And I was just continuously having to re-pour and re-pour. I thought, let's just go with a two pinter straight away. <laughs> Are you a big drinker, Alan, or, or not? I used, not really? I used to be. I used to yeah. be until um, well, you're in the military. I think it's it's part of the course. Um, yeah. But since what's happened recently, when we get into it, um, yeah, I try not to drink as much. Okay. Because it's not good. No, of course. Yeah, I'm I'm actually not a very big drinker, believe it or not. I probably no, should have called this two with you. Yeah. <laughs> I probably should have called this Dad's Tea Club, but it didn't really have the the same ring. Same ring, no. <laughs> Um, so, look, Alan. Same thing we do with everybody. Let's let's go back to the very beginning. Let's um, talk about growing up. Where you grew up? Was your dad around? What was your relationship like with your dad? Um, that sort of thing. So, I grew up in a little place called Abertussog in South Wales. Um, you'll never see it on a map. It's it's very close to Merthyr Tydfil. Okay, where um, a lot of people probably heard of because it's a benefit capital of Britain. Um, <laughs> I grew up during the miners' strike, so I got born 1978. So my formative years were the miners' strike, um, not having much money. There was five uh, five males in the house at the time, so if I wanted to have a bath, I was fifth in the bath. Right, we, we, and we and we literally had a tin bath in front of the fire. Um, so if you can imagine, you have to like break the skin to get into the water. Yeah. Um, I tell that to the wife, she's like, "You're Victorian. You're born in Victorian times." <laughs> Um, so we didn't have much money. My old man was around, but he didn't work. Um, to, oh, my daughter's just walked in on me. Go away. <laughs> um, so I, we didn't have much money. My old man was there. He didn't work. So he was always like odd jobbing. Um, I thought at the time I had a lovely relationship with him. But as, as you get older, you, you, you see things. So you cut away all the... The, the loveliness. Um, I started working when I was 12, 13 on paper rounds. Yeah. And then milk rounds and meat rounds. And most of the money I used to earn, I used to give back to my parents. It was rent at 13. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I was 16 when I joined the military. Um, and my father passed away suddenly as soon as I joined the army. Um, that when I that's when I started finding that he wasn't probably the best dad that I should have had. Um, I was really raised by my grandmother, to be honest. Okay. Um, but 
I, I had my father on a pedestal for years and years and years until you start doing family research and you're asking people and you find out, yeah, he's a bit of a waster, to be honest. <laughs> wow. And, um, and was was that in your older years that you you doing that research or was you still a fairly young man? Oh, no, it's, it's been recently. It's, um, I think now as I've got older and my problems have started and I've talked honestly with my two brothers. I've got two older brothers who are both in the military as well. They were um, from the when I was age of nine, they joined the military. Okay. So I never really had a. I was always their younger brother, and they always like just spoke me when I was a kid. So I never really had adult chats with them. And it wasn't until you know, you're a few years old and you've had a few beers and you're talking about the past times and you go, oh, you know, our dad was good, and they go, yeah, I don't think he really that was. Right. Um. So, so they so they would have they would have um, been a little bit older than you. They they would have known more everything. of him, and yeah, it's very similar for me. So my my not on my dad because my dad never existed really, but my um, my mum was my mum my mum passed away a couple of years ago, but she was very very poorly from when I mean for the last ten years. So I've got younger brothers and sisters who never really knew her as the person she was. Yeah, I do, because I remember her. She was, I think, eight, I was about 18, 19 when she got ill, whereas my younger brothers and sisters are like 10, 11. So I obviously knew her growing up, but they don't. So I have all the memories of what she was like, what she was about, whereas for them it's Poorly just mom. what they – Yeah, yeah. So, so I definitely can relate, relate to that. I was going to say to you actually, what was it that drove you to join the military? But I actually, I guess it's just big, big brothers doing the job. And uh, there was nothing where I'm from. There was all yeah. sorry, factory work. Um, and I, I, I had a taste of that when I, I, I literally had it in my mind from nine, from nine years old. I'm joining the army because obviously, if you if you if you have nothing when you're poor, yeah, and then you see your brothers coming home from the, from like eighty five onwards with money in their pocket. Yeah. going out spending it having you cut you know, and doing that so that's what i was going to do at six well 15 and a half and i left school i tried to go back to do six months before I, before my intake date in the army school went no I'm not having you back so i had to go and work in, and it's all it is around earth it was factory work at the time yeah um and it was horrid i worked in a christmas cracker factory and i worked in a chocolate factory um, making the pink and whites. You know the Tesco's pink and whites? Yeah. I, I used to make them and the cheese strings. <laughs> cheese straws and... It, no, it wasn't for me. No. No. I, did, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> no. So joining the military at 16? Yes. Um, Is it still the same age now that you can join the army? Yes. It's 16 yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. I think they've upped it as well now. So it's, it's older as well. But... um. <laughs> When I joined, if you if you failed your 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 running test on day one, that was you out, right? Whereas now it, it's it's more of a okay, we'll give you a chance to build you up, build up the fitness, that. yeah. But um, yeah. they say they say it's gone softer. It's not. It's just adapted. I think it's adapted yeah. to the way that you know when myself or you. Pro I don't even know your age, mate. But thirty-five. Yeah. So you're a bit only a bit younger than me. We yeah. were all, we were always out. Hmm. You know, as soon as the light, as soon as you woke up in the morning, yeah. and you come in when it gets dark, yeah. and you're out constantly. Um, whereas kids these days, 
I, I, it's like mine. I'm trying to get mine to go outside, and they're like, "Oh no, it's evil." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. You didn't go as far as saying kids today are soft, but they are. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, what it is. well, I, and I, I think when we get into it a bit more in a bit, that's where I struggle. I can't let go of the military side of it. Where I go, yeah. it's my kids. No, it's okay. You don't, you know. It's. I'm like, no, you will go and do that, or yeah. Stop! Stop crying! I didn't feel it. Get on with it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's trying to switch off that. I'm I'm a squaddy, to be I'm a dad. Yeah. Um, so so at 16, joining the military, coming from a I think you said former mine in town, so not a lot going on. Village. It's a village. village. Literally, it's. Yeah. Um, it, we call it the butterfly village because if you look at it from a mountainside, it was in the shape of a butterfly. Right. Um, but it's literally eight streets and wow. that was it um so, so going from that to the army where you're being shipped all over the world you've got massive extended family i guess with the with the other squaddies that you're in is that a re- culture shock to you adapting to that massive massive cult- um thankfully i had a little bit of background you know i had a little bit of knowledge because i knew my brother's yeah, and, I, and I'd been to the base. I'd been to Northern Ireland to visit them. Um, I went over to Germany to help one brother move and stuff. So I had a little bit of. I said I had a little bit of knowledge. All I knew about was drinking. <laughs> All I seen <laughs> was the drinking side of it. Because um, I went over with my, with my dad, and he could drink. And he was he was a big bloke. He was about six foot four, weighed about twenty stone. So he could put a few ales away. Yeah. Um, and that's what I kind of looked up to him. And, oh, he's he's big. He had hands like shovels. Um, so I had the military side of it. I thought, yep, yeah, I can do that. I can drink. I can learn to drink. Um, but go in there and get shout with that. And the discipline side of it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, but mixing with blokes from all over the UK. At first, when I was sixteen, you know, naive and. Oh! Why are you shouting at me for? Why is my shoes going out the window and stuff? Um, <laughs> that was a bit of a culture shock. But again, looking back on it, best time ever. And yeah. with some of the guys again for the reunion next week, next year, uh, sorry, in a few months after this pandemic's over. Yeah. Um, even the guy who threw my boots out the window is coming. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I absolutely loved that. And I lost my father when I was in training. Um. <clears throat> And they, I, I reckon, them boys I was in my room with, and I'm still in contact with now. They, they probably kept me on a straight and narrow, and kept me in the military, and let me have a career. To be honest, otherwise I would have just gone. No, I'm coming home to my mum, and gone to the factories, and end up not being disrespectful to the lads that stayed at home. But I can walk into the pub now and tell you where they're all sat, even though I haven't been down there in years. Yeah, nothing changes. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I, I thankfully, I, I thankfully stayed in the army when my dad passed away, and uh, had the chance to travel to some of the best shit holes in the world. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think? Because I think, judging by what you were saying, um, at that point in your life, you sort of thought your dad was a was a good guy. You had a lot of respect for him. Did I that? Thought f- god. I thought he was a god. Yeah. So, so his passing at, at such a young age. How does that? change or affect you um 
I was there. I was actually sat by his bedside when he passed. Um, me and my brothers would take it in what we call stags. You know, you sit there for a couple of hours with him each. Yeah. Um, and it was my time with him when he passed. Um, at the time, I, I think, well, it snapped me for a few weeks. You know, I was I was like, oh, fuck me, I've seen Dad die. Pardon my language. Um, but I think it also made me tougher. Yeah. Because I saw death. Uh, my first That was my first real... Um, first time seeing somebody die. I saw my granddad when he was dead. And he was getting put into into a bag to get taken out of the house. But, and that's when time when people actually died at home yeah. a lot. Um so I think I think it made me a bit tougher, made me a bit harsher as well, to be honest, because my 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 idol had gone. Yeah, and I think that's when I made my other brother then a bit of a bit of an idol as well, false idol, because um, he was closest to me in all the shot at the time and stuff. But um, yeah, I missed him a lot. Um, I probably drank too much as well at the time, even though I was only 16, 17. Um, but, yeah, it made me harsher, if anything. Yeah. Bit of a twat at times. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you. Yeah. So, so those first couple of years in the military, what's that like? Um, well, I joined up, surprisingly, as a chef. Okay. Um, so at the time, it was two years of training. Um but I spent most of that playing rugby. <laughs> um, and it was fun. It was supposed to be educational, but we had a an Asian sergeant who was a paratrooper who just liked throwing our kit out the stuff and just loved punishing us. So we were polishing the floor with our socks and stuff and polishing stairs with boot polish and socks. <coughs> um, you see us walking around one day with like with only one sock on because we use it and polish the floor. Um, but again, you know, I look back at it and I laugh and yeah, um, I look back at it with lovely times and I'm I'm can't wait to meet up with the guys again shortly. Yeah. Um, but then, literally, it's seventeen and a half. I got posted to Northern Ireland during the marching season, um, and that was hard. That was uh, we were, what? What is that for? I mean, I don't know what marching. So marching seasons when the Protestants, um, the Orange Order, feel it's their right to march through certain towns and areas okay. around Northern Ireland, uh, and they, then it's they're doing it because they say it's their right. The Catholics think, "Hang on, you're doing that through our area. That's wrong," and then that causes the riots, and that's. Marching season is the busiest time in what well, was the busiest time in Northern Ireland for soldiers. Yeah. And you used to see the news of Drum Cree and all that. So I was literally thrown into Northern Ireland during marching season in nineteen ninety five. Uh, no, sorry, nineteen ninety six it was. Um into London Derry. And as a chef, my job was to feed seven hundred people. And we thought we it'd be a crew of us. But it was three of us. Me, a sergeant and a corporal, and me being a private, I got all the shitty jobs. Yeah. Uh, and I was literally doing something stupid, like 17, 18 hours a day, going back to my room, ironing my kit, washing my kit, getting an hour of sleep, and then going back into work, yeah. feed the lads again. And that went on for two or three weeks, and then I just, you know, just 
threatened my boss one night with a knife. <laughs> Say, get me out of here. And uh, next morning, he, he was pissed, by the way. He, he came in for a bacon sandwich shit fest. Um, next morning, it was an interview without coffee in his, in his, in his office. And I looked, he goes, what, what do you want to do? And I looked out the window and a guy was walking past with a dog, throwing this lump of Semtex for this dog. And I went, I want to do that. So that's when I became a dog handler over in Northern Ireland. <laughs> Just like that? Yeah, literally, it was threatening my boss. And I got moved to the dog unit. And that, they were the best three years of my army career. Okay. It's a brain on a chain, they used to call it. It's, it's what, sorry? Brain on a chain. So brain the dog, on a chain. The dog's a brain. Right. <laughs> but I, I absolutely loved that. Okay. And uh, when, when so um, on Remembrance Sunday now, when you see the Cenotaph, I always march with the dog unit, and we are the smallest association there. Okay. Um, and and they, I still march with them guys. So you see us all with rope leads around us and we even get squaddies on the day going why have you got rope on you and we got our oh, army tug of war champions because they don't know who we are <laughs> tug of war champions that's class <laughs> <laughs> so and, uh, speaking to you before um just briefly before before this you, you mentioned obviously having a great time in the army but then you leave so what 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 happened? What happened? Then? Why did you, why did you decide to leave? So um, met my wife. I'd uh, been deployed to um, the Falklands for six months, and then literally I came back from the Falklands. Let me get this the right way around now. I well I I've been deployed somewhere. It was either Canada or Falklands. Came back. Got told I had a month's leave. That's it. Falklands. Got uh, told I had a month's leave. Doing that month's leave. Got a phone call one weekend. Taff, we need you down in Castle Martin. You're quite close near there. Castle Martin's on the coast in Pembrokeshire. We need you down there for one week. Just do one week's work and you can go back on your leave, Taff. Can you do that for me? Boss, not a problem. Boss was a Welshman. Loved the bloke. No problem, boss. Went there. I was there two weeks. Boss went, Taff, sorry to tell you this. Can you come to Salisbury with us? Come with the tanks. And uh, when you come to Salisbury, we'll give you the rest of your month off. I was like, all right, boss, yeah, no problem. Love you, boss. Great. Got, got to Salisbury. I was there for um, four months, four weeks on my own. <laughs> Go back to camp. Boss went, right, Taff, um, this, this time off I promised you. I went, yes, boss, you went. You're going to Canada. I said, when? He goes, tomorrow. Wow. So I flew to Canada for four months. Uh, yeah, was it four months? Four months in Canada. Came back. Um, met my wife that night when we got. I, I got back. Okay. Um, enjoyed three weeks leave with her. I asked to marry me. Wow, and then, they're messing around. No, no. It, I don't know why it was something just... <clears throat> But special, yeah. And then I got back to work on the Monday morning, and the boss went, uh, "Taff, you, you've been posted." I said, "Have I? When?" He goes, "July." This was October. I was like, "What, what happened, boss?" And he goes, uh, "Paperwork." So right, so when do I move? He goes, "Friday." 
So where to? And he's Germany. I was like, oh, that's a bit. I thought. So I phoned my new boss, and he goes, right, you're working over Christmas. I went, that's that's not happening, boss. He goes, why not? I said, I'm getting married. So I, that got me off on the wrong foot with my new boss then. Yeah. Got over there. Um, I literally spent, I think I was only over there a month and a bit on my own before Christmas. But then that's silly season for chefs because it's Christmas parties. Of course. Everybody, everybody wants Christmas parties. Because of my good reports from my old boss, they went, right, you're on the Christmas party team. So there's three of us doing all the Christmas parties, feeding them all. And we were doing three or four Christmas parties a day. So if you can imagine, we were working from six in the morning yeah. to about three in the morning. You have a few beers. Yeah. Back getting your kit and go back to work again. And that was constant for three weeks. Yeah. I used to Christmas. work in hospitality myself, and yeah. it was it was Christmas that, that made me get out of it. I remember, yeah. you know, finishing at two, three in the morning, and then having to get back in the next day. And I was just like, but "No." The thing is that when you're serving in the army, when you're serving these functions, people go, "Do you want a beer, mate?" And you go, "Yes, please." Because you've been yeah. working your nuts off all day. So you have a couple of beers, go back, go to bed, and come back in. And my boss went to me, "You've been fucking drinking, you?" I went, "No, I'm not, no, I am, sir. I had two beers last night with the function." Because now you've been drinking. I went, and I looked across, and my my staff sergeant at the time couldn't stand up. He was absolutely <laughs> shit faced. And I went, could it be him? Oh, my boss went mental at me, and again I was like, right, whatever. I, I, we didn't get on. Yeah. Uh, and then got we then got word that Iraq was kicking off again, second time. So we all got ready to go over there. Um, at this time, I'd moved my wife over. We'd got married. We've come over. She in, Ger in Germany. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How old are you? How old are you? I was, I was twenty three. Okay. And the wife was just turned nineteen. I married her on a, the day before her nineteenth birthday. Wow. Um. So she didn't know anybody. She didn't have a clue. Um. So I said, right, if you want, you go back to the UK. Go back to mum and dad. Go and find a house in the UK, whatever, or just just change all my next to kin forms. Um, I went to war. I was there three and a half weeks, ready for the big push. Moved, you know, moved around. Just just before that, Taff. Sorry, do you prefer Taff? I know I've been calling you Alan, but yeah, that's what everybody calls that. me. Yeah, Taff. So. Okay. Just before that, obviously going to, you know, because Northern Ireland was bad, but. Going to the war in Iraq, uh, you know everything that you see on the TV. Are you concerned? No, I'd already, been to I'd already been to Bosnia in between. I've been to Bosnia. Okay, <laughs> um, it's what you train for. Okay, uh, and at the time it's shits and giggles, isn't it? It's for me. I wasn't worried. Um, my brother survived the first one, so this one wasn't going to be any different, was it? Okay, um, not in my eyes, and it's it's. Not very nice writing you you will when you're over there, twenty-three. <clears throat> um you see a black hawk going down. One of the black hawk helicopters the, the Americans crashed not from far from us. Um did malfunctions and stuff. So you think, yeah, it's, it's not gonna happen to me. I think a lot of soldiers think of that when you first join up. Yeah. Um and speaking to them since in Phoenix House where you see a lot of disabled veterans now, they're like, No, oh, it's never gonna happen to me. But it's going to happen to somebody, isn't it? But yeah, at the time you're all invincible soldiers. Um, 
So, just before the big invasion, we move up to our starting point. And I'm going, I don't feel very well, boss. I'm not feeling very well. And he goes, well, I need somebody to stay awake at night. And I went, well, I don't think I'm going to be out getting any sleep, so I'll stay awake, boss, and I'll keep the, the food going for the guys that's working night shift coming in. And I literally sat next to my cook, like, oh, Jesus, all night. A couple of Americans come in and went, hey, man, you don't look very good. I went, fucking hell not. So they gave me a couple of their American drugs, kept me going till six. Boss came in and went, tough, med centre. So I walked a mile and a half to the med centre, walked the medic up. He went, go back to bed, come and get me a two. Okay. Went back to my pit. He walked me up at three o'clock, shouting at me. Why have you come and saw me? And the patch of sand next to me turned red, but I'd been coughing up blood. Um, he made me walk back to the med centre, took me in there, started going to, Doc, this is the one I told you about who didn't come to see me. She looked at me and went, lie down, Court Watkins. You took the medic outside and ripped him a new arsehole. Um, within 15 minutes, I was in ITU. Um by the time they put a catheter in me and stuff like that, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. A couple of drugs brought me around. 12 hours later, I'm sat on a, on a bedpan, this one nurse telling me how good my eldest brother, what a chef he was, because my brother worked, my eldest brother worked as a chef in Northern Ireland in the hostels, in military hostels, and they all loved him. And he was like, oh, your brother's amazing. And I was like, I don't really care. I'm trying to have a chef. <laughs> and I literally fell off the bedpan and off the bed. And I woke up and he was putting a central line in my neck. Um, and that was me getting flown home then. Um, and then after that, that's when I had my first nervous breakdown. Because they didn't bother telling my wife I was ill. Or nothing like that. So they told my mum I was ill. But they didn't tell my wife because they hadn't caught up with the paperwork. Right. So that's when I first saw the arm. I was like, no, the army's not for me now. Um, obviously just got married. Wanted to have kids yeah you know um and i didn't want to see the way a lot of military families went where blokes were deploying getting split up kids you know not seeing their dads and stuff i didn't want that so i got out and uh started working for the military <laughs> okay <laughs> okay because i'm gonna say there's 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 off I mean, I know I know a guy who's been in and he's really struggling to adjust adjust to civvy life. But you're still working in, well, in the yeah, military. I, 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 when I left in 2004, I then went to work. I literally left my job on a, on a Friday, say, and then Monday walked straight back into the same kitchen as a civvy. Right. So I was, I was as a corporal one day and then back as a mister the next. And people just couldn't go, all right, uh, what I said, well, I'm not. I'm not having any of the bullshit now, am I? You know, I can go yeah. home at the end of my shift. Two o'clock comes, I'm off. Bye. Um, but I've done that for four years running. I was a head chef of the military hospital in Catrick, um, in Sergeant's mess there, and I just it was just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the banter. Um, I was working for another com company called Adrenaline in the UK at the same time. And that's an outdoor adventure company doing the Krypton Factor. We were and okay. That was my that was my part time hobby was working for them, um, just shouting at people running around the salt course. And we done that Davina Davina McCall Biggest Loser program. 
Yeah. So I was just shouting at fat people running around front quarters. <laughs> Go on, move! And I loved it. But the guy who got me the job there said, Taff, I've, I'm back in. And all we do is stag on. Do you want, you want to come and do it, mate? You want to come and do it? And the wife was expecting at the time. I thought, do you know what? Uh, I might do one. No, I think... Was it? No, Rihanna. Rihanna, my oldest, was born at the time. She was one. So I thought, right, I want a steady wage. I want my pension. I want all that to kick back in. Yeah. So I went and rejoined. <laughs> okay. So and, and I thought this time I'm going to use the military for me. I'm going to get the benefit out of it. So I literally played rugby. All my aim was just to play rugby. And I did. Loved it. So, so you mentioned you left the military to have kids. Yeah. But was it uh, was it four years that you were out for? Yeah, four years I was out for. Um, but it, lots of just, practice this, in between trying to get kids. I was gonna yeah, I was gonna say um, it, it took a while then for you to to actually have have the, the yeah, your first I, daughter. I, um, the wife want what the wife said. She wanted Watkins time. She just wanted me and her because we right. got married quite quickly. Um, yeah, we wanted time just as as a couple. As a couple, yeah. And then it took us about a year, year and a half since went from trying. Yeah. Um, I thought this is never going to happen. So we bought a dog, bought a puppy. <laughs> literally three weeks, three months after getting the puppy, the wife fell pregnant. That was a trick. That's the trick then. Yeah, and um, Rihanna's birthday now is a year and a day after our puppies. Wow. So we she was due on the puppy's birthday. So all of the puppy's bir first birthday, my wife was in labour. Um, and then I, we we had the second one while I was still in when I was back in Charlotte. She was born when I was when I was in. So the, the first one, how does how does your wife tell you she's pregnant? Um, I was chef. I was working at the time. I was I was in the kitchen. She came in and told me, and. Um, my arse dropped out, to be honest. Uh, the reality okay. of what was going to happen, I just thought, oh, oh well. <laughs> um, but then it was all overwhelming. Yeah, my balls do work. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Walking around like 10 men, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, good <laughs> so obviously that was something that you really wanted. Did, did, did... <laughs> Was there any was there any concern like are we are we how so how old are you at that point? Oh, uh, I'm twenty. Oh, two thousand seven. Oh, twenty seven, twenty eight, something like that. Okay, I think <laughs> I've drunk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so when your first daughter, daughter arrives, how does life change? Um. My obviously, um, my entire oh, I, I I couldn't I couldn't cuddle her enough. Um, I was still working every minute God sends because obviously my wife was off work at the time then. Yeah. Um. But oh yeah, I, I've got so many fond memories of that of of just hearing the bouncer and her having bum time on the on the floor and stuff and yeah, she was my world then. And did, she still is now, but she's it's a different side of things now. Now she's a teenager. Did, did you because you mentioned you, you have brothers? Did were you 
late to the party with children or did were people around you having children as well? Um, yeah, my brothers have already had kids by this point. Um, okay. I think my nephew was 13, 14, and my nieces are a bit older, well, a bit, about nine or ten. But again, I didn't see my eldest brother because he was in the, living in Northern Ireland. Um, and my middle brother split up with his wife at the time. Okay. Um, so we didn't get access to see the girls. So um, I, I, I tried my best to keep in contact with them, but relationships, you know, with ex-wives and all that yeah, uh, didn't really go that well. Um, so my my middle brother came up on the day of my daughter's birth. He came, travelled up from where he was living at Bristol, I think, at the time, to see my daughter, um, which was amazing. My eldest brother couldn't, but... Yeah, she, she was she was very well welcomed into the family. But again, I I had my par- both my parents had passed away by this point. Okay, so the mum you'd lost your mum as well by this point. Yeah, I lost my mum shortly after we got married. Um. So yeah, Rihanna was was my world, apart from Kate. But yeah, all my efforts went into spending time with her. And how how long? How what's the age gap between the two? Um, two and a half, three years. Okay. So the decision to go back into the military is, are you concerned that potentially you won't be around as much for your daughter? The job I went into was, um, it was basically a job for the old boys um, because Iraq and Afghanistan was going on. Yeah. um, And they didn't want lads coming home from there to go straight back onto guarding camps. So they want them, when they came home, they had a chance to wind down, spend time with their families you know, and not have the mundane rubbish of stagging on the guard for 12 hours. So the job that the military invented was um, for guys of a certain age had got out, um, who they, they could train, literally train up over two or three weeks to do the job again, just to stag on, just to look okay. after the camps. And they, they weren't deployable. We weren't ever going to go abroad. Okay. Uh, so it was money for old rope, basically. Nobody likes stagging on. Nobody likes doing guard shifts. But it's different when it's your job. Yeah. When you know you've only got to go in for 12 hours or 15 hours, do so many stags on a gear and a couple of patrols, then you can come home and switch off. There's none of the, right, I've got to go and do that, then I've got to go and do my job the next morning. That is your job. So it was a lot. It was a lot. My pension kicked in again. That was a big thing for me. Yeah. My pension my health care. Um, I didn't have to worry about prescriptions and stuff like that. And I didn't have to worry about go paying for the dentist. For me, it was all financial. I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, I could still carry on with the adrenaline on my part-time and stuff and rugby. That was my main aim, rugby as well. Yeah. Support my daughters, get fit. Because I wanted my daughters to see me as an active bloke, something they could be proud of. Best version of yourself. Yeah. Not some fat knacker. You know, ooh, not not again because my father was. I never saw my father do anything physical. I never saw him like run. Yes, he was a big bloke. He could knock chimney breasts down, and you know, odd job man. But he he never done anything physical. He talked a good game of rugby, but I've never seen him play. Yeah. And I don't think he ever did play. Um, and being a Welshman, that's just wrong. And. <laughs> yeah. um, so I wanted my kids to see me be the best of me. 
Yeah. And that's what's led me to where I am now. Unfortunately, due to illness, um, which is it's a rare autoimmune disease I've got. Um, so, so they both saw me play. Rihanna saw me in my first game back in rugby. My wife and my father-in-law came to laugh at me because they thought I was going to get creamed, you know, against all these big squaddies. Because um, I'd been out for a while then. Um, and Rihanna, I've got a photo of me coming off at half-time. And Rihanna coming, running at me with her arms open wide. And that is my favourite photograph ever taken. Um, and then Charlotte and Rihanna came to Leicester to watch me play in the world record game. And I was the only blood injury. And it happened 11 minutes into the game, I got elbowed in the face. And I got split just across the top of the eye. Now, I, I cats bleed, and they bleed yeah. and they bleed. So the girls just saw me, you know, erupt. And they started crying. And But they saw me take part in that game. They stayed there for a good couple of hours. Um, so they see me do that. And I'm yeah. proud of them they see me do that. But that's me in my head then. That's me. That's that's what dad is. Dad's a fit yeah. who's in the army, who can, you know, support the family, who can go bike riding and climb trees and stuff with you. So when an illness hits me, it, I lose my job. I lose my hobby. I lose my, what in my head is what makes me my them their dad. Yeah. And that's where my spiral started in my mental health. Um, and then during first lockdown, I tried to commit suicide. Um, my girls only just found out as well, so they know now why I did it. Uh, and when they found out what happened, they both gave me a big cuddle and went, shut up, Dad, stop being daft. Because all it is now is I'm a different version of me to them. Yeah. But it takes me a long time to work that out. So... so Talk to us about the build-up to that, Dav. Like how? What? Because uh, obviously, you, you mentioned the you mentioned the illness. So with my illness, I have to shield. Okay. Um, so with my wife, my wife's a, an NHS nurse. Um, so she was living in a camper van. Somebody kindly donated a camper van for us. So she was living at the back of our house. Now the kids couldn't give her a cuddle. I couldn't give her a cuddle. Luckily, it was summer, so we were, I was cooking her meals and putting out the back door for her. Um, and she was sitting by the back door so we could, you know, communicate that way. But you can't, you can't give her a cuddle, you know. And it was, it's, it's shit for nurses at the time, you know. And they've always got a mask up for everything. And people can't even go to Tesco's without wearing a mask properly. So, you know, you've got to feel for these nurses. <clears throat> and then when the easing stopped, um, Kate came back in. When her... Her ward went so they're like green, amber, red. Green is there's not there's not going to be any COVID patients on that ward. Yeah. When when she went green, she decided to move back in, which kids loved. I loved, you know, just being able to give her a cuddle every night. And then on my daughter's birthday, she came home and she was having a bad day. And it wasn't directed at me. She was just having a whinge. Um, how hard she was working, you know, blah 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 money and all that and because i'm not working it got to me and I, I thought well how can i help how can i help you and this is just because I'd, I'd had a beer well I'd had a lot, lot more than one beer i'd had quite a few beers um and in my head i'm thinking right if i'm not here 
she gets money, she gets my life insurance, then she can drop her hours, spend more time with the kids, blah, blah, blah. So without telling her, without planning it, I went into the kitchen, got all my strong medication and went upstairs. I then text my eldest brother, who me and my other brother take a piss out and say he's the head of the family. I text him and said, look after my girls. And I turned my phone off. Um, and I took all my pills. And then she, he obviously contacted Kate and said, what's she done? What's she on, what's she on about? And she's like, oh, you just gone to bed. And then she got me in the ambulance. And when I was in the ambulance, that's when I had my major fit. Um, and I ended up in a coma. Um, and it was a horrible three weeks. Like I said to you off earlier on, people think, you know, you're asleep. I relived a lot of the shittiest times that I buried in my life. And I never want to go there again. And it was, it's like constantly fighting. Um, if Ryan Reynolds ever listens to this, I've got a lot to thank him for because Deadpool's by my side a few times, helping me trying to get out of that. Really? Yeah. Um, some freaky shit went on in my head and well, that. So, does it feel like a dream? No, it felt real. Honestly, okay. it did feel real. Um, there was times when I, I thought, you know, I was talking to somebody and it wasn't, it was just a mic, you know, that was holding my oxygen mask in. I was talking yeah. to them. I thought, it was a real, I thought I was the only real person I could talk to for months. Um, and, and I thought I was in New Zealand. In, I thought I was in Darlington in New Zealand. I don't even think New Zealand's got a Darlington. <laughs> I thought I'd been drowned out there. I thought I'd drowned in New Zealand. I've never even been there. And I saw. I thought I was in hospital. So it's, it's funny that actually, just actually thinking about what you said, because I had I had um, similar feeling, if you will. Um, I have a, I had a, I have a heart condition. Um, but I basically had when I was twenty seven. I had a heart attack in hospital, <clears throat> and I, I was just sitting on the bed. My my eyes rolled in the back of my head. I start fitting. Ended up in um, resource oxygen mask, all that sort of thing. But while I was on the um, table, if you call it that, I was playing football. I was in my, I was, I was, I was on my old pitch playing with the with the lads, and we were playing football. And I remember it vividly, like I was, it was, it was happening, like it was, it was there. So it's weird, like to say like, you, you being in a coma. That's the sort of the feeling that you had that you was reliving these things and these dreams and these oh, yeah. memories. I was con. It was one point. Um, I had, in, in, you know, in my coma that they were going to move me back to the UK, um, but I had to get off, off my bed and make my own way to the helicopter. Now, and I was going, you know, I can't, I can't move, and I was telling this doc, this nurse, come and help me, come and help me, and he was going, no, nope, you have to do it if I can tell. And it, it was, it wasn't like I was proper battling that for that, however long it was. And probably nothing was happening to my body, but it was a horrible couple of, until the next dream kicked in. Yeah. Um, since coming out there, it was um, recently my daughter, my youngest daughter, went back to school, um, and she mentioned to her teachers what happened to me. Um, so we've got an invention team coming in to to talk to her to help her express her feelings and stuff. Yeah. Because um, she currently plays Fortnite. She's, what, now 10? And she got... Have you seen that Angry Kid video on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. Where he smashes... That, that is my youngest daughter when she plays Fortnite. <laughs> uh, 
um, she goes from no to idiot in seconds. And I think that's part. I think that's her side of me because she want she she came to me one day. She went, Dad, I want to play football. I went, oh, okay. You can play football, but I want you to play with a rugby mentality, like you know, with the teamwork, respect, individual enjoyment. Yeah. And that. But she literally goes on a pitch and she creams people, and she plays in the boys' team, uh, and she creams some of the lads bigger than her, a lot bigger than her. Um, and she's brilliant. Love her a bit when she's playing football. She is a monster. But when she's playing Fortnite, it's a totally different thing. Um, so we've got somebody in there to come and help her and talk to her. And uh, on Monday, this woman never turned up. And I was looking at her through my shared window, watching her, waiting for this woman. Because not, I'm not supposed to be involved. The mum's not supposed to be involved. Yeah. Two time. And she's sitting there and this woman never came up. I said, right, while you're waiting, come in the shed and help me. And I've, I've got a photograph of her and she's, because I make pens in my spare time now. And she's making a pen for me. And she's absolutely loved it. And she goes, can I help you make more pens, Dad? So, it, I've now got a, you, you know, it, it's like the pennies dropped. Yes, I'm not that fit, healthy bloke. I'm not that rugby player. But I can be different. I can be a different version of them now. Yeah. I can be, you know, she can come in and share with me. She can learn to do something different with me. She might want to just talk while, you know, messing around with a power saw safely. <laughs> um, so I think I think us men need to stop thinking of ourselves as so masculinely yeah. Viking bollocks and just understand that what our role is now is to be there for our kids in a different yeah. sense. It does. It's not what we want to see our, the kids to see us as. It's what the kids need us to be. Not, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, them seeing me as a big rugby playing bloke getting drunk and drinking 18 pints after the game, it's not going to be any help for them. For me listening to them and or doing a crossword with them or, you know, helping them with the schoolwork. That's what they need. Not They need you to be there. Yeah. Not showing off running around smashing people. Yeah. They need a bloke they can sit next to and watch a movie with and have big arms around and stuff. That's what they want and that's yeah. what they need. And that's what we've, as men, have got to change. Well, yeah. probably there's probably a lot of men out there thinking, I already do that, you stupid wife. But... <laughs> There's, uh, I, I know there's a lot of it in the military that see it the other way around, you know. Um, and if I if if talking to you now tonight makes one man realise that, well, I've done my job. Yeah. Um, we've got to be the version of us that the kids want, not the other way around. Yeah. And I can't wait now till tomorrow. Me and my daughter are going to make pens. I've said I'll, I'll pay her 20 pence a pen she makes. And she can't wait because she sees it as... Child labour, that. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Shush, don't, don't tell the tax man. You'll have a sweatshop in Catterick soon. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Tough, was, was there... Because no, how you described that situation it was very... This has happened... This is a decision, and that's where I'm going with. Was there any build-up? Was there any was there thoughts no. before that? No. No, okay. nothing at all. I didn't. I didn't. When my wife told me after when I came back around and 
you know, she wanted to tell me what happened. Um, couldn't remember doing it. Can't even remember doing it now. So there's no build-up, no thought about it. Um, I was upset about seeing my wife upset, I think. Um, and knowing I couldn't do anything about it. Um, I just, just went for it. And I wish I wish I had seen... I, I think... Do you know what? In hindsight, I think because I, I was using Phoenix Housing Catholic for the Health Heroes building. Um, at the time, Health Heroes had five centres around the UK that were helping people. Since the pandemic, they've had to shut four of them. And Catholic being one of them. Okay. Um, and Catholic supports Northern Ireland, Scotland and Northern England. So it's quite a lot of bigger area sports. And that shut instantly. And I was using the woodshed for my support and then for the camaraderie of the talking with lads and the banter, you know, seeing a guy coming in saying, you know, he's having his leg off on a Thursday and he's thinking, hey, double the Christmas present for you, isn't it, son? He's like, what? I went, your wife can wrap both your socks now, can't you? <laughs> you know, and it's that kind of banter. Um, or we've got, I've got one friend who's lost, completely lost the use of his arm, but he's still got it. But this man is built like a brick shithouse. He's, do he's doing the Highland Games and all that. But his one arm still looks like he's he's not used it to wank. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, you miss an arm day, Mark, and stuff like that, you know, taking the piss out of him. Yeah. And, and it is all, if anybody else done it, I don't think they would be, you know, acceptable. But because of who we are, we're all, you know, and, and I miss that. So that got taken away. I've got a 70-year-old best mate who helped me with old work. He was in Chile, so he couldn't come around and help me. So I think, and then I couldn't get cuddles and stuff from my wife. And my only, my only friends were a 12, 10 and 13 year old. So I think it was just community, just everything. And the fear of, if I go out, I'm going to get this COVID and I'm going to end up back in that coma. Yeah. So I think it was just, <clears throat> enough's yeah. enough. There's a problem. There's a solution. Let's go for it. But it, it, the, I, said, I was saying this last night when I was talking to someone. I was speaking to a mental health advocate last night, and um, we were talking about. I, I, so I'm I'm one of those people that didn't think mental health problems were real. You know, I just thought it was people that were miserable and they needed to get over themselves. That's pretty much my how I used to think about things. And it wasn't until very recently, well, this last year during these lockdowns, where I found myself really struggling with my own mental health. You know, some days. I'm just, I just can't get up in the morning or sometimes I'm just really struggling to pull myself together and I feel like shit and I've got absolutely no reason to be down. But I just, and I say to my wife, I'm, I feel really low and I can't understand why. Now I understand it. Um, but it's, and I was saying that, it, it, although I, I, I'm not isolated in as much as I have my wife and I have my son, I'm still isolated from the, the world and i guess that's where you were you had your your daughters were there but it's there we're, we're still in a some sort of isolation and it's that isolation that really pushes people to yeah to, 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 to struggle and i didn't think of it before as you know my, my brother my middle brother is exactly like you you know he, his mental health problems don't exist to him yeah because he's an airborne sky god he, he is an ex-paratrooper and you know Oh, oh, no, no, no. Um, but 
I think for me it was that you know even though I didn't think of it as at time that mixing in the woodshed every day or when I could when I was physically able to go there yeah it was doing wonders for me that I didn't think about it was subconsciously yeah. that was going in there speaking even if I didn't make anything or help out on the Viking boat we were making or anything like that even if I just went in there had a little 10 15 minute bit of banter with somebody you know um joked, joked took a piss out of coops because he was um because he had a face for radio and stuff this guy he got caught in a nail he got caught in a bomb in afghan lost both his legs some of his arms and stuff and his face off lost an eye and i'm like you've got a face for radio now coops and stuff and you know um and he, he'd give it back yeah you know, he'd give it back just as much um but it's that that I, I think i'll you know you get very enclosed and you can only see the problems inside these four walls yeah um not the bigger picture i think coops you you do you'd love to speak to coops he hasn't got any kids but you need to speak to coops <laughs> he's, he's on his on his on his tinder profile he's six foot two right i think i was before the explosion he's only like four foot four now <laughs> But the, yeah, we are. We're, we're social animals, aren't we? I mean, we need we need that interaction. And I think, you know, I, I've said I've said I've said this many a times. But ten million people are estimated are going to need a, a new or extra help due to mental health problems um, due to this pandemic. And oh. it's and it's it's so real. Um, again. You see, look at the kids, and you're thinking they don't need mental health. Kids, you know, what's changing with kids? If I had a year off school when I was a kid, I'd love it. Yeah, but you don't. They need their friends. Yeah, one hundred percent. They need um, mixing. They need to go out and smash each other on a football pitch or rugby pitch. They need that contact. And and this pandemic is going to be massively, massively big um, problem afterwards, with people needing to to mix um yeah. we asked the guys in the woodshed that Patrick are planning to make another woodshed now phoenix house is unfortunately shut we're going to open another community one just because we know there's going to be a need for it and it's not yeah. just going to be for veterans it's going to be for anybody um you know i like i said to you off screen i i've donated that horse to for kids mental health charity down south um because it's go, there's going to be such a need for it afterwards. Yeah, and hopefully more people will start listening to your podcasts and stuff, and realise that and reach out. Go and find, go and speak, speak to a mate. Yeah, I, I hate Zoom and I hate these, you know, podcast type things and these talking to people over. Because I'd rather have face to face and physical. Hundred percent. If, if that's what you need now, use it. Yeah, Technolo technology is there. It's, it's it's good now, but it's not gonna you know it's not gonna change the world. As in, it's not gonna replace physical contact. No, you need to go and smack you know go up to a friend and give him a bear hug. And um, when I first met my wife, I, we weren't a cuddly family. Me, my parents, my brothers, we never cuddled. First time I met my wife, she gave me you know big cuddle and all that. I was like, whoa, yeah, and then. Her parents instantly, they met them. They come up making big, big cuddle, and I was like, "What is this shit?" Yeah. 
<laughs> no. Now it's second nature. Yeah. And I haven't given her dad a cuddle in over a year. Yeah. Even when I came out of hospital and he was he's dying to give me one. And I'm dying to give him one. And that you know, that's what we need. We need to give each other big bear man, man hugs. Yeah, and, and and I think for the time being, it's, we just need to talk to each other because, and that and that's the whole aim of this. The, the reason I started this was, you know, everybody just assumes that dad or son or mate uh, were okay. We're lads, Steve. Be all right, you know. That's the, the mentality, and I, <clears throat> I think especially when you get older, you tend you, you the friends start to drop off, and you go from having a friend of this pool to this pool to this pool, and then that's that whole social contact becomes less less and less so the whole the whole point of me starting was to encourage people to just text i mean one of the first blog blogs i wrote was look just message five of your friends that you've not spoke to in a while ask them how they're doing how are they and i think i think you, it's, it's when your kids are in like this from like five to 15 that your social group just shrinks so much yeah and then when they start leaving the nest and stuff and that's when you start spreading your wings again, yeah. As a man, man, but my my generation and probably your age as well, you didn't talk. You didn't. You didn't talk to your dad. You didn't cry. No. You know, you got on with it, and it's bollocks. It is absolute bollocks. Nothing better than a good cry these days. Yeah. And if you need to go and talk to another man and give him a cuddle and go, "Hey, mate, let's have a chat with you. Let's have a brew. Put your Zoom on. Let's have a brew." Yeah. We need to. Um, we do it now once a week. I'm, I'm talking to seven-year-old blokes on Zoom about woodworking. Yeah. And I tell you what, it's the best it's the best hour I get a week. Yeah. Because we just chat and chat. Yeah. And uh, the, the older the older the people are, the more the more the, the more they need that as well. Is it the the campaign for loneliness, which encourages people to talk to older people? I mean, that's a brilliant initiative. I'm, because I'm getting into that group now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it obviously what what happened to you was there any support from the military at all um there was no support from the nhs at the time when i got you know the local mental health teams there was none of that help for heroes picked me back up afterwards um because they were dealing with helping me with my case before and with my pension and all that and then when i woke up from my coma there was loads of emails going look we haven't heard from you what's happening so i messaged them and they've got me into mental health support since. Okay. Um, but that's taken six, six to eight months to get. Um, too long, isn't it? A one-to-one. But, you know, they're snowed under. And that's a mental health for, for veterans. Yeah. Um, I, I think in this, in that catchment area I told you about, the, the northeast Scotland, yeah. there's been about 13 suicides in veterans in this lockdown. Um, and I know there's been about five in this, this area itself. Um, and that's just because we can't meet up face to face. A lot of guys, and I, even I'm still the same. If if I'm doing it, if I can't meet face to face with somebody, like you can see my face now, so I can't lie. But if somebody said, "How are you doing, Taff?" or the phone, I'd be like, "Yeah, fine, mate. Oh, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. That's our natural reaction." Yeah. So I think. Um... Oh, she's back again. <laughs> back again, being nosy. Um, that's. That's why, because we can't have that face-to-face. And there's a lot of guys that don't like this technology stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to start getting better. But the, the NHS need now need more support. Mental health teams need more support. 
Yeah. Um, and if they haven't, if they're not there, it just needs a slot to grab a mate by his shoulder and go, "Give me a big cuddle, you daft bugger, and have a cry with me if you need to." Yeah. And 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 I think that's we can we can sit here and say all we want. We need the, the NHS to help. We need the government to get involved and provide more funding, but. The reality is that's probably not going to happen. Short no, term. I'm not being funny. You know, Boris couldn't do any more. He couldn't no. do any more. You can't just magic these people out their ass. His ass. No. It takes time to train them up. There is already there was already a need for it beforehand. Yeah. So, you know, and they were they were fighting fires then. They're not going to be able to do it anymore now. Yeah. And even if you put Captain Hindsight, Kirst Starmer in charge. <laughs> he's not going to do any different either. No. You know, it's nobody's fault. This is just a natural... Yeah. A, a global emergency that nobody could see coming. No. no. And it's not going to change overnight. This is going to be... You know, it doesn't matter if, how many more Captain Toms we get marching miles and miles up his road. We need to individually get involved yeah. and help a mate. Yeah. Like, like you know, grab your mate on Zoom, have a beer, have a chat. Yeah, other family games, Zoom night and stuff. For yeah, you know, just sit around and watch a film with your family. That's a, that's one of the biggest things. Have family time. Turn your tablets off. Get off your Xboxes, and have a game of Monopoly. And we'll fight over a Monopoly fight. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> oh, we stood up. She's not, she's not just like that with Fortnite, you know. <laughs> I've got all that to call. My my lad's only um, he's free in May, so we're we're, we're quite lucky that he's, he's he's still fairly ill. But yeah, we, we've got all that to come. No, I've got the hormones kicking in now. My oldest one as well, so she's thirteen, coming on thirty. <laughs> only so, six more years, and they can both leave home. Yeah, <laughs> join the military. Yeah, they're off. Tough. What are the hopes for the future? Yourself. Um, my biggest hope is to be happy. I, I just want to be happy. Um, and I want my girls to be happy more than anything. Um, like I, I laugh and joke, six years' time they're out. You know what? Six years' time onwards, I want me and the wife to go on a cruise. Yeah. I want me and the wife just to have some us, us time again. And, you know, look back on this time and go, do you know what? We made it. It's yeah. done. Um, and just to chillax. Um, I hate that word. Why did I say that? Um, <laughs> my youngest daughter just wanted to be happy, you know. Um, and I, I just want them to be whatever they can. Apart from yeah. that, I haven't got any big dreams. I maybe sell a few more pens. Maybe make another rock and horse for charity. Um, but yeah, I just want my my girls to be happy more than anything. No. I'm not really fussed about myself. No, but you, but you need to be because you're like you say you, you for them to be happy you're going to need to be happy yeah but my happiness will come from them if you know what i mean of course they're reaching their goals if they're achieving their dreams you know with with charlotte now she's she's like i said she's massively into the football yeah so after lockdown i'll be hoping to take and see my United ladies play okay because uh, she's a big man you fan um so i'll take her to watch the ladies play yeah, um, I, I would take it to the man's game, but the crowds are worse. Mm. I took I took it to a Middlesbrough game once, and they were all shouting at the female lines person. 
And I was going, well, mate, I've got a girl here who's it's aspiring football. Would you just give him a ch- give her a chance? She hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah. Some of the abuse was just awful. So <clears throat> I want to take her to a girls' match where it's it's an inspiration for her. Then. Yeah. Um, she's seen England ladies, but it's England. <laughs> <laughs> but that's who she'll play for because the wife's from Yorkshire. So yeah, I've, I've lost that one. Well, you never know. Giggsy, Giggsy was born in uh, Manchester, wasn't he? Yeah, but I, I, Charlotte won. She, she's going to be England. <laughs> she's going to, she's going to be England all the way through. But you know, if if she turns up playing for England, I'll I'll be the big proudest dad in that stand that night. Yeah, I won't wear an English shirt though, but I'll be the proudest dad in that stand. <laughs> <laughs> you will if she asks you to. I know. No, no. <laughs> Not even with a name on the back. No, I wear a Welsh one with a name on the back. <laughs> You're on the BBC commentary, and there's a dad in a Welsh shirt when he wears not been playing. <laughs> no, look. So just just wrapping, um, Taff. Um, what, where are the the summer local uh, charities that you're involved with? Do, what, do you want to just you mentioned it before? What was the, the house called? Uh, it's Phoenix House. So it's Health Phoenix Heroes. House. Health, Health Heroes is the the charity that helps me out a lot. Um, yeah, there is going to be a woodshed in Catrick, which is going to be for everybody. Which after this pandemic, we're hoping to get off the ground. Yeah, uh, and I've just been in and supported the um, Don't Lose Hope charity, which is in Bourne in Lincolnshire. Okay. Um, and they're raising funds for mental health support for adults and children. And okay. that's why I give them a rocking horse to auction off and it raised over a thousand pounds. So that's gonna pay for like thirty counseling sessions for children. That's brilliant. So, yeah. Um apart from that, I'm just happy helping anybody I can. Good. Well look, I hope I hope everything goes well for you in the future. Hopefully we can stay in touch. And um yeah, if you can Anyone else you want to recommend my way to, to come and have a chat? Feel free. I will do. I'll, I'll try and give you coops. But like I yeah. said, you've got the face for radio, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we do. We do a second podcast actually called Virtual Social, which is like we just chat about everything that's going on in the world. And that one isn't that one isn't recorded. It's just um, just the radio, like you say. <laughs> so maybe we'll get him on that. No, coops does. Coops, he is actually one of the faces for um, Health for Heroes. Okay. You'll see his advertisement running. He's a, the ginger kid in a wheelchair. Um, but he's a brilliant lad. Proper, proper good lad. Love him to bits. Well, love him. I, I, love, I love him. <laughs> not, not, you know what I mean? No <laughs> in bits, but I love him. Wrong phrase. Wrong turn of word there. <laughs> he's a brilliant man, yeah. Yeah. Um, listen, Tab, it's been brilliant speaking. On, no, no, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story. Like I said, like I said to you in the build-up to this, I think what you've obviously been through is terrible, but coming out on the other side, you know, hopefully you can get your life back together. Your kids can grow up, like you say, just to be happy. And if, if there's anyone just listening to this, who is feeling like they, they're, they're at that point. And if this is going to just encourage them to have a conversation with somebody, and maybe that can change the momentum of the way they're going. Even if they want somebody who, who's not related to them or not in their social group and they just want to reach out, find me on Facebook. I'm on there. Yeah. Give me, drop me a line. I'll, I'll have a chat with you. 
Yeah. Because well, I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. No, well, I'll, I'll link, when I when I post this, I'll link you in it. So um, people, if people do want to reach out to you, they can do. Yeah, um, by all means. Love them too. Brilliant. Listen, Taff, appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. And, uh, yeah. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. No problem.